I was so like, oh, uh, I don't feel like it. And then yeah. dinner, and I was like, oh, I just need to eat something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think I've caught dinner. myself around my necklace. I've managed to braid my earpiece into my necklace. Hang on. There, there it goes. goes. That's better. <laughs> yeah. Hi, everybody. Welcome to episode three, season two of Bulgarian and Beyond. This is the show where we explore magical worlds chapter by chapter and we've begun with the Belgariad series of books by David Eddings. My name is Sondra Turnbull. I'm from the Goddess Kindled Universe and I'm here with my podcasting partner, Alicia. Hi, Alicia. Hello. I'm excited to be recording. I know. We haven't Thank recorded you. for a little while, have we? Yeah. It's been a few weeks, but, you know, that's just what summer does sometimes. <laughs> I know. So we're recording this over, like we're having a summer break from releasing episodes, but right now we're right in the middle of summer. And um, yep. so when you hear this, we'll be heading on into autumn, my darlings. I know. I love autumn. Ah, me too. My favourite. Mine too. Mine too. Mm-hmm. How's your week been, Miss... Mama on summer break with the kids. (laughs) It's been like, it's technically been almost three weeks since we last spoke. So that whole span of time has been like a mixture of all of them. I put sweet, salty, bitter, and spiced all mixed (laughs) together (laughs) into one crazy drink. Okay. (laughs) Because it's been like a, for me, it's been a little bit of a roller coaster emotionally. I've gone up and then I've crashed and um, it just proved a little bit more challenging than I thought it would be to do my writing and my podcast while having the kids around for most of the time. My parents will take them a couple of days, but otherwise they're, they're here. And my podcast uh, was also, you know, I just, didn't record for a couple weeks because I just didn't have the means to. So uh, next week I should be back into that. Um, We'll see how it goes. I may have to take a few more episodes off in the summer, but I've just been understanding that that's, you know, and accepting it, that that's fine. Um, But I think it's, uh, for me, it's the personal space. I don't have that much personal space right now. And I have a hard time with that because I grew up alone. I was an only child and um, I'm not used to this constant of like, mom, 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 all day. Like I want to sit down and write. And then I hear them on their tablets in the background and um, it's just adjusting to that. So, uh, and then the other thing too is we're trying to take out the carpets and put in tile in our house. So that set me back a little bit on my writing. I, I was not in a creative mindset while that was all going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, I kind of let myself fall into a crash during that time. Mm-hmm. And now that my office is all back together, it's brand new. I even repainted the walls. So I'm feeling good now. 
How does it feel like it? Is it feeling like a different space? What's the energy feeling like in there now? It feels a lot lighter. Like before this room, I don't know if you remember, but behind me, the wall was like a dark green. Now it's yellow. It was too. Yeah. And so all it's just really bright. And I have my, a lot of my children's artwork hanging. So it just makes it really pop out in this color. And I love it. Pale yellow, is it? Cream? Yeah. Yeah, it's like a creamish yellow color. Pretty. I wanted something, yeah, really subtle. because when I painted the, every room in this house, I painted uh, when we moved in, and I painted them all pretty dark colors. That's interesting. Really, Isn't that interesting, that reflection of how you were feeling inside your head? Yeah. Yeah, I, I do think of that. Because this room is a dark green and the kitchen is a yellow, but it's like, it's a nice color, but it is a really kind of dark. It's like a Tuscany feel. Yeah, yeah like a gold. Yeah, which I don't mind, but I do want to repaint that too. So yeah, that's that's what we're in the process of. It's exciting, but it can also be stressful when your yeah, yeah. half of your room is ripped apart, you know. And it's just really, I mean, I know that sometimes we want to do a thing. We've made up our mind that this is how it's going to be. And then something comes in and just kind of gets in the way of all of our plans. Yeah. And that for me i find is the time to embrace what's happening not what i want to be happening but what is happening because Mm -hmm. ultimately it's what's the point of chasing after something that's obviously not going to happen right this second let's enjoy what's going on now or at least embrace what is going on now and Mm -hmm. find some kind of peace rather than that conflict that we feel when we feel like you know what i mean like yeah yeah, that's exactly what I'm doing my prophecy on today. So I'm oh, going to share more about that. We well, I actually thought about the question I want to ask too. So. Mm-hmm. so we can get deeper into that when we get to the prophecy speech. How about your week or your few weeks? So my potion this week is darkly herbed and slightly alcoholic. <laughs> 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 Um, I don't know, had I started taking the herbs the last time we spoke? Let me check the um, show notes. For what, 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 herbs, what herbs are you referencing? That will help me remember. Okay, no. Uh, nope, I haven't talked about it this season yet. Okay, so I've started taking two different herbal tinctures. One is... Um, an astragalus um, uh, com- uh, complex, and the other one is um, ashwagandha complex. Oh so, yeah, I've taken that. Okay, and so, and so there's a, a, a number of reasons that I started taking them: immune health and um, general inflammation through my body and that kind of stuff. But holy shit! Holy shit. They are, I, 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 it's like, it's, I swear to God, this is instant lift in me. And so I've been taking it now for like three weeks, at least three weeks. And I feel like a different, not a different person, but a less layered person. Like this, like I'm finding myself reacting differently, thinking differently, 
mm-hmm. behaving differently. My body wants to move. I feel yeah. like active in my body and active in my mind. I'm moving more easily. Like my stiffness in my body has just gone. And my and stiffness in my thinking too. That's really interesting now that I'm talking about it. This way of thinking like my girlfriend and I were talking because she's taking it too. That well, she was really the main reason we started taking it, especially the um, ashwagandha, because she was getting arthritic joints in her knuckles, in her hands. Yeah, and she had just general stiffness in her body, but her knuckles were getting really painful. She's got, she's she can like make a fist now, no problem at all. There's one finger that's still a bit kind of you know. Mm-hmm. A little bit, but like she was like she, you could barely touch some of her, uh, a couple of her fingers. I was so painful, and it's all yeah. gone. And so there's been this yeah. shedding of fear. Like we're both reacting to things differently. Like we're not coming from a place of fear anymore. There's this open quality about how we react to things and respond to to situations. Like we just it's just different, and it's exciting. Mm-hmm. And like I'm curious about stuff like oh, I want to know more and I'm not afraid of asking questions that maybe I would have hesitated to ask or, you know, just being, I don't know, it's amazing. So I'm having, I'm feeling very magical and sparkly at the moment and I'm like cleaning a house and, mm-hmm. and, you know, looking up, talking to my plants. I got, a friend gave me, gave us two potted gerberas, an orange and a red, and they're just beautiful. And I talk to them and if they're too hot in the sun, I move them and I give them a drink. And, you know, we have a little chats and I've got herbs on my kitchen windowsill now. So there's all these like live plants in the house and I haven't had that like ever, ever. Really? Yeah. No, I'm not a live wow. plant person because I would just kill them. Plants didn't like me. Yeah, it's hard. It's hard. I have a hard time with plants. I have two in the house that I've actually managed to keep for one I've had for almost four years. It's uh-huh. still thriving. It's on my desk right here. But yeah, it's that's amazing. I think ashwagandha is really good for relieving stress emotionally too, mm-hmm. as well as the stress in your body. I don't take it regularly like I used to, but well, it, it. We were going I through, find we were benefit. through the um, benefits and like the effects mm-hmm. of it. And it's like, holy fuck, what doesn't it do? Because, damn. And then somebody was telling me the other day um, that it actually goes in and repairs the telomeres at the end of your DNA strands. Mm. They're things that they, they re- replace, they rejuvenate and replace, but there's a limited amount of time that they can do that properly. They just get shorter and shorter and shorter. And that is the, that's what ages us. That's what creates the ageing process. And so it has, it has, I totally get, how they talk about it as um like um oh, i'm so not into that anti-aging bullshittery really but i totally get how it helps you just feel good because if it's if that's what it, the sort of stuff that it's doing in your body that makes sense mm-hmm. anyway whatever it is it feels it feels awesome <laughs> yeah. yeah that's great that's great to have that kind of stuff to be able to aid you, you know, and then help you just release what you need to release. I did yoga this morning and it was just a joy. We were sitting here after dinner the other day and I'm like, oh, 
my legs, you, do you ever get like restless legs where you just can't sit, sit you get fidgety and you can't? Yeah, I'm like, let's, let's get on our bikes and go for a ride. We have to, I have to do something. My legs want to do something. And she's like, you want to just go for a walk? I said, no, no, we've, I want to, they, want to, they want to really get into something. <laughs> so we, we got on our bikes like 8.30 at night and you've got to understand the, the light here, like it doesn't get dark until after 10.30 at the moment because we're in the middle of summer. So we got on our bikes at 8.30. It was a beautiful evening. We walked, rode through the countryside, fields and farms and forests and for, you know, an hour. It was just beautiful. There's no way on God, Goddess's Green Earth that I would have suggested going for a ride after dinner before. <laughs> it's not, I just wouldn't have. Right. <laughs> right. That's awesome. That's really awesome. Yeah. There you go. That's my that's that's my potion. Sounds like a good one. I'm gonna have to start taking up ashwagandha again. Well, we're hearing ta- your talk. We're doing the just the recommended dose, fifteen drops three times a day. Right. That's a lot. That's so much though to like keep up with the having it in stock. Well, anyway. we, it is it is, but 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 we don't buy very much. We like we don't buy meat anymore. Mm-hmm. we've gone mostly vegetarian except for some fish and we don't buy coffee anymore because like we've given up coffee don't drink coffee yeah. anymore and so there there's like and i don't drink wine anymore so they're like yeah. three really big ticket grocery items and we're like well you know that's like a swap we don't get those anymore and now we get other things Mm-hmm. which don't cost as much as that other stuff used to. Yeah. See, I still buy wine and coffee, so that's probably my problem. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <sighs> okay. That's how, that's, how, that's how transformed I feel. I can just laugh about that and it doesn't even bother me a little bit. I don't even want a coffee or a glass of wine. It's, I just sit here with yeah. my herbal tea and it's all good. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's so, good. Darling. Be Gary for me. Give me his view. All right. So chapter two, Lelderin. Wait, Lelderin. Uh-huh. I got to get used to saying that. Lelderin and Garyan. They have some bonding time in this chapter. They each kind of share a little bit of their own people and how, you know, how they differ and that kind of stuff. And... It kind of got the vibe though that Garyan isn't too sure how he feels about his new friendship. Mm-hmm. Seems to be a little uncomfortable at times. And then Heta returns with news about what he's been up to. Mm-hmm. And Mr. Wolf, uh, finally. I thought you'd be excited about this bit. <laughs> divulges what their mission actually is, who they're mm-hmm. actually after. So. I like this chapter. I'm enjoying the second book so much. I mean, so far, yeah, a lot more than I did the first one. Well, the first one, <laughs> I felt like a lot of like it was just like setting the, setting the scene, really, wasn't it? Yeah, his writing style, I think, has changed a lot between the two books. Do you think so? I do. I think if this is one, the second book is a lot lighter you can read through it a lot faster it's not as dense the other one at times was not as dense as lord of the rings but along those lines like kind of going to that point 
in some of the chapters for me it's where I was like I am not following what he's saying here I'm just gonna and I guess there's a lot of when there's a lot of new stuff and the first book obviously has to have a lot of new stuff because it's introducing new, new characters and new personalities and new peoples especially when it's a fantasy novel in a land and it's trying to and all the world building has to kind of be set up to a fairly broad extent otherwise there's nowhere for the story to happen yeah I get it I write fantasy I have created my own world yeah and it's not easy to like set up the setting without giving info dump no I'm I did that not easy I, I had to go back and rewrite my, my first book because I did that too much well I was gonna say it's almost easier to just write the story and then go back and like pick the moments where it's appropriate to give information because it's necessary right. to make a certain part of right. it understood. Yeah. But yeah, it's, 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 you know, this is a craft. This is what we do as authors, you know, it's a craft. It's not just something you go, Oh, I'm bored. I'll sit down and write a book. <laughs> <laughs> Especially fiction. Yeah. But yeah, I, th- I really like the way his style is in this book. It feels different to me. It feels lighter. And I read through the chapters super fast or the, before I had to kind of go slowly to make sure I was absorbing it all. So. Okay. Well, it'd be interesting when we get further in um, and other new, new people start to come in. So that's, that's, a, that's a cool comment. We're going to Wolf's Wisdom talk about the meat of the chapter. It's a nice chapter. Um, yeah. They're still at the ruins, and yeah, it's all. It starts with Leldoran and Garion just sort of hanging out, getting to know each other while they wait for Hedtar to arrive. Yeah, so Garion in his self-appointed task of going out to wait for you know <laughs> to be on the lookout for Hetar. So Leldoran has joined him in that. So I'll let you you lead, my darling. So I I enjoyed their little conversations here that they had back and forth um like it starts off because Laldrin is shooting his bow and arrow and uh Garen's noticing how good he is with it so that's how they get into this conversation about Laldrin's people and who they are and exactly so Laldrin's um, an Asturian right and I guess these people are really good with bows. They've been mm. bowmen for thousands of years, is what he says. So Garion assumes then that they they hunt a great deal. So they get into conversations about the hunting, like the difference. Because Garion shares his his exchange with the boar and mm. that hunting, or Laldron's kind of like, that seems like a little bit intense, not, you know? But it's like, um, it, it's, that is such an adorable little interaction. Like, Garen's sort of like, he's not boasting at all. He's quite modest about it. He's like, you know, yeah, it was pretty cool. And yeah, it was pretty painful. And, you know, Mm -hmm. and and is a little bit impressed, I think. And so there's that nice little bonding, you know. Right. I I really like that. Yeah. Yeah, that was cool. So, yeah, Garen explained, like, in detail how you go about hunting a boar. And that's how he impresses Laldrin because he just doesn't, he can't seem to understand how that would even work. Like, how do you get that close to an animal <laughs> without getting killed, you know? Yeah, it's like, yeah, well, I almost got all my ribs broken. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But then we, this is when we kind of shift into Laldrin's 
people, right? Because he, he kind of comments like, well, we don't have that many dangerous animals in uh, Asturia. Mm-hmm. And so Garion asks, well, what do they hunt then? You know, and he makes the comment of some men find it more interesting to shoot, th- shoot that or find it more interesting to shoot. What? Some men find, twister. Twister. find more interesting things to shoot. Right, right. I'm, no. I'm turning dyslexic. That's okay. So I guess he's hinting here that they actually shoot men off their horses. <laughs> well, yeah, so it, it's... it's it, yeah, this a uh, plot is a foot. <laughs> okay. okay. So he sort of he he gets very he gets a bit sly, Lelderin, as sly as he can get. It's very ingent it like um oh, I can't, I don't know the word, but he's like he's not he's not very good at being subtle. <laughs> it's <laughs> I don't think. He's giving very on the nose hints about how he feels about membranes and so you've got to remember Astoria is the membranes and the Asturians came together um, right. but they've had it's it's a very sort of civil war-y kind of place they're always they've never been a, um, a one people they've been two people in one land and they've mm-hmm. fought a lot amongst themselves and it's all quite political by the sounds of this um, right. run everything. The king is a membrate, and none of the Asturian um, nobility are recognised as far as Leldoran's concerned. They're not called by their, their Asturian titles. They're not afforded any of the um, reward, you know, the, the trappings that come with uh, nobility. Mm-hmm. Because Garion's sort of like, well, I thought the Civil War was over. <laughs> right. And, and Lelderin's are, well, you know, many don't believe that. And the war will continue until Asturia is free of the membrane crown. So that sounds all very, there's stuff going on there. Yeah, so it's like amongst this bigger picture journey that Gary and all his people are on, now there's this small, it seems smaller in scale problem but it's going to probably at some point i imagine really affect what they're trying to accomplish with mr wolf right Mm. well Um, so so this is so the last the last sort of thing that was the problem was the the traitor jarvik in cherik and now they're coming to asturia and lelderan's here and now there's lelderan's obviously mixed up in something yeah that sounds like it could, yes, very well get them into trouble. And Garion sort of wants to, he doesn't want to say anything <laughs> because he's like, he doesn't, uh, doesn't really know what's going on. Lodon's obviously like a very emotional, effusive young man. <laughs> and Garion's like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, I didn't know boys could be this intense. <laughs> <laughs> And then, and then Lelderin goes so far as to make a comment about men hunting royal game and snapping an arrow at a tree. And Garion realises that eh, Lelderin's a little bit too familiar with everything not to be quite intimately involved. Right. So then Lelderin realises what he said 
And this is, oh, I don't know, I'm, I'm curious to know how you feel about this little device where Lelda is like, oh, I shouldn't have said that. I'm a fool. You're my friend. I know that you would never betray my trust by saying anything to anyone. And mm-hmm. as far as Garion's concerned, that effectively closes his mouth and he cannot say anything to Mr. Wolf about the fact that there is trouble brewing. It might get all of them into trouble because this new burgeoning friendship is so important to him that he would will not betray that trust. How do you feel about that? I feel a little bit confused. I feel like he already has a lot of doubts about Lelderin. So I don't see why he'd feel the need to be so loyal to him other than just he doesn't like to upset people maybe. Uh, It's like a very quick, fast friendship. mm -hmm. Yeah, maybe he is just, even though he doesn't really, he's still unsure about Lulderan, maybe it's just the fact that he doesn't want to lose the one person who's finally giving him some normal company. Well, I have a feeling like, I'm trying to remember, like, when I was, me at 15, 16, 15, that would have been the more important than anything else going on, I think. And the fact that this kid is 18, so he's three years older than Garyan. And so at that age, that seems like a huge deal. And so maybe just that fact alone, he kind of has more already just off the bat or respect because this kid is three years older than him or maybe a fear because this, you know, what is a... a, It's interesting. I mean, they they go on and keep talking and then Garion starts talking about himself, you know, what it's like in Sendaria. We'll talk about what he says, but then after that, he's hesitant to say anything because of, you know... This, this friendship that he's like, oh, they're right on the, he's felt, feels right on the edge of this really important friendship and doesn't want to say anything to ruin it. Yeah. But um, now when he's talking about his Sendaria, did this actually make things a bit clearer for you about how Sendars are and what it's like in Sendaria? Or was this, was this very much the, the idea that you had of what it was like there? Yeah, I think I already had a pretty good picture of Sundaria. I think that's the one thing that was really clear to me in the first book from the beginning. It's just, it felt like this big farmland to me and, you know, people are pretty much just laid back and they don't want any trouble. And I was curious when he brought up the... Serfs? Tells them, of course, yeah, there's no noblemen. But when I start talking about serfs, Hmm. I need some clarity on that. <laughs> okay, so he talks about, you know, Faldor's farm, where he was from, and Lelderan's ready to just dismiss Fal- Farmer Faldor as just, oh, it's just a commoner then, no, not of anyone of consequence. And Garion gets a bit rankled <clears throat> at that and points out that Gar- that rank doesn't mean very much in Sendaria. It's more important, you know, what it, what you do rather than you know, what, what your, what your title is. What's he say? What a man does is more important than what he is. You know, and then he says, you know, I was a scullery boy. <laughs> and that's when Lil Doran says, not a surf, certainly. So if you remember back to the last chapter, the two men talking in the fog, who were talking about eating their shoes and eating grass, are serfs. 
So surf, I'm happy to have one of our listeners chime in with this, but my understanding of a surf is someone who, who works the land of a land um, of a nobleman, mm-hmm. um, lives on the land and works the land for the, for the nobleman and supports the main household, so the main castle or whatever. It's like the village around the castle or the labourers in the fields or the workers. And it's the nobleman's responsibility and duty to care for those people. They're his serfs. So depending on what kind of person the nobleman is, they could be more slaves than serfs. Right. Okay. Yeah, that clears it up. Yeah. And so then if you look at it from that point of view, you almost get the feeling then that Lelderen has looks down on people that are at that level. Yeah. I know it seems like that, but I think that it's more of a inconsequence. He just doesn't see them because they're part of the landscape of his country. And Mm -hmm just taken for granted that they're there and they're just not anything that he considers any more than he would consider another tool that he would use for something except maybe I think he would like his bow more than you know he would have more more emotional attachment to his bow than a surf on his land I imagine and I don't think that comes from any kind of cruelty just from a an over like it's just an um inattention yeah you know, like it's just more like a type of apathy. Yeah, just an, like an apathy, not not considering that it's anything to be paid attention to. Yeah, right. Um, and, and then this is when they get into the conversation, because he asks them, "Well, what sort of work does your father do?" So we get into this whole instance where Garion shares with him what happened to his parents. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. Garion's talking about it. He's obviously still processing it because you know, he's sort of, if he, if he says it very fast, it doesn't hurt so much. Mm-hmm. So he's still working out how he feels about it because he hasn't really had any, he's, like it's fairly recent discovery and he's still, he hasn't grieved it or anything. And so that's still bubbling away inside of him. Yeah, it's an interesting concept to think about. Like he's known his whole life, his parents, or did he know they were dead? Be- well, it just never came that. up, did it? It was just not anything that he talked about or maybe thought about. Yeah. He was so well-loved where he was. Yeah, I was just trying to think if he ever, like, just in passing thought about if his parents might still be alive somewhere out there or if he was already told they were dead. No, he, he, the first time he asked Aunt Paul about his parents was when he was very young. And she was putting him to bed. And you remember she told him and he cried and she called into bed with him and held him until he fell asleep. So I think he was very young there. And that was in the growing, that was in the first couple of few chapters of book one. Yeah. That was, so that was when he found out that they were dead or his mother was dead anyway. Uh, and then... Um, it's not really touched on, so you know. So it's just like a whole new thing for him to process, from the fact that they were dead to the fact that they were murdered. Yes, so dead is one thing, but murdered is another. Right, like it triggers this whole new 
sense of grieving that you have to go through. Well, he's not aggrieving people. He's vengeance. Yeah, but I also think it he feels the pain of it, like you yeah. said, because he has to say it so fast. And I don't think that that pain would exist if he didn't also still have some grieving going on. Oh, Probably totally. the vengeance is much stronger. Totally, totally. But, and I think that's how he's coping at the moment with the grief because he has this yeah. sense of purpose around it. Right. And so then Lil Doran's like immediately, you know, call to arms kind of thing. So very immediately sad when Garion tells him that his parents are dead and, you know, asks some questions about how they died, discovers that they were murdered. Like Garion sort of matter of fact steps through the story, man crept into the village one night, set fire to their house. And my grandfather tried to stop them, but they got away. And then he, he demands, you know, like, well, you're not going to let that stand, are you? And Garen, nope, I'm going to find them. As soon as I'm old enough, I'm going to find him and kill him. And Leldoran's very much proves of that, grabs him in a big hug and says, yes, you know, we'll cut him to ribbons. And mm-hmm. then Garen realises what's going on. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so it's like the whole friendship thing now has taken a new level. He's like, I, I will help you on this mission and yeah. I won't rest until this person or people are dead. Did it and I'll help you do it. <laughs> and Carrion is like, I kind of wanted to do this by myself. Yeah, this he's like, oh, shit, all right. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And, and so this, is, this gives a nice description of Leldoran actually. He's perfectly sincere in all of his declarations, very open-hearted, very generous, and coming from that place of, you know, he's very brave and, you know, feels things very deeply and very immediately, you know, on the outside of his skin and, and reacts to things that way. And so I think that is important to know as the story goes on, remembering that he's involved in this political plot that we have only don't really know much about yet, but involves membrane nobility, membrane um, royalty, and so you can kind of imagine he's so eager or, or ready to believe people, maybe ready to kind of fight at someone's side for something that he believes in or thinks is worthy. Yeah, yeah definitely. I can tell you know you know so much more about him. Like for me right now. <laughs> I would still be not sure. I don't think so. Okay. I just, I feel like I would still, well, I am still unsure. Like, he's still kind of, like, hard to figure out for me at this point where I'd be like, hmm. Yep, okay. Is he he trustworthy or is he, like, just, he likes to play games. Who knows? But, um, yeah, so then Garion's now in, like, two binds with this guy about friendship. Yeah. And feeling this like tightness of like oh great here we go and like they're thankfully interrupted by Hedtar's arrival well Garion's thankful I think because it's a distraction they can go and join the rest of the people Mm -hmm. yes so give me your impression of Hedtar well this this is maybe the one part of the chapter where I probably didn't absorb it as well but I think that I just got the impression he arrives, he's invited inside. And the first big thing is just that we see him like actually talk to the horses. 
say something that with his eyes to the horses to Jernix, like just like what the heck <laughs> he's kind of like uh is this guy crazy now or what yeah he so. just sort of he, he it's like some sort of telepathic communication that happened mm -hmm. yeah yeah so that's the first impression i got of hetar just that he showed off his little horse communication skills okay i don't know if i missed something um, I know, I just like, um, I like this picture of him, you know, you get a, he's very kind of big and quiet, you get the impression that he doesn't say a lot, but what he does say is like to the point. Yeah. And he doesn't, he doesn't, I don't, it doesn't feel like he shows off his um, ability to talk to the horses, he just does it and doesn't say much about it in explanation when Dernick asks about, you know, won't they stray? And Heta just goes, no, I asked him not to. And then right. that's it. Yeah, um, that was funny. I thought that was funny. I don't know <laughs> if it was meant to be funny, but I laughed. Well, uh, I actually really enjoy Heta uh, the more that, like, he's one of my favorite characters. Well, yeah, he's still one I'm trying to figure out. Sorry, I'm bending down real quick. Well, that's he's okay. Because, you know, he's only just starting really in with them. We're only, we're only just getting to know him. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I look forward to getting to know him better. Yeah. But so he comes and he's wearing sort of you know he flexible armor like steel discs riveted to like a horse hide jacket like there's some sort of flexible armor and he's carrying a curved saber and he's he's got a long black skull lock and the rest of his head is shaved and so you, I, I I really like it's a very um, very quick picture that's drawn, but it's quite complete. I thought it gives me a nice visual. What about you? That yeah, see, I completely missed this, and I don't know if it's how I read, and I kind of skim over stuff that's not dialogue sometimes. I don't know why I read that way, but I can tend to skip over, and especially with descriptions of people in any book I read, I've noticed. Is that right? It takes me, like, I'd have to read the book several times to finally get a visual <laughs> of the person, which probably explains why I have such a hard time describing my own characters physically. That's interesting. Uh, and I don't know, it's some kind of block in my brain or what it is, but, yeah, I missed that completely. I didn't get any visual of him. Yeah, I read, when I read, I want to know what they look like. So I'm on the look, I sort of pick up little little bits that form the that flesh out the picture of them so I can build it in my imagination. Yeah, see, I get really more drawn to what are they talking about? How are they connecting? What's the emotions? Yeah. I think I enjoy that part more than understanding. I just, I, I easily can create an image in my head what they look like, whether mm -hmm. the author helps me or not. I just, yeah. yeah. And usually it's in aligned with what they do describe, and I probably absorb some of it, but I don't like, notice every little word that they use like I even go That's just to, how I read especially in um I've found myself sometimes in chapters where there's a lot of action like slowing right down like if a room is described I'll read the descriptions in like really carefully so that I can build the picture in my head of how the author is telling me that the space looks like sometimes, like I don't do it all the time, but mm -hmm. sometimes, especially sometimes if I read on and then go, 
I don't understand how that happened. How did that work? And I go back to the description yeah. go, okay, what is this like? What does this look like? How, which direction is the army moving in? Especially those big right. war scenes where you're like, what the fuck is going on? I have no clue. Yeah. Yeah. I do that too. If I'm reading ahead and I know I probably skimmed over a few sections that I thought might be, I don't need to know that. <laughs> and then I, I will go back to figure it out. Like, all right, I guess I'll read it. But yeah, the war, yeah, war scenes. I'm trying to write my first kind of bat- big battle scene in my book. Are you really? It's, it's, it's scary. Like, <laughs> I don't, I've never been in a battle. I don't know the correct terminology. I have to do my research. I have yeah. to. Yeah, so I, I kind of just wrote really like skeleton right now. Yep. I'll go back and, go back and flush it out later. He hit him with the thing yeah. and turned right. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's about what it is right now. <laughs> uh, or like every other word is stabbed. They stabbed him. She's stabbed. <laughs> <You> know. <laughs> like I'll go find pretty words later. <laughs> word search stabbed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> synonyms of stab. <laughs> oh, that's cool. Uh, yes, yeah, yeah. so we, we get a bit of a picture of Heta, and then um, Mr. Wolf goes, "Okay, now we're all here. I'm going to tell you in plain talk what's going on." Oh, well, before we get into that, we get a little bit more of a picture of Heta and how he feels about Murgos. Really doesn't like them. Killed a couple on his way. And Barak's like, yep, dude, you go for it. <clears throat> and then <laughs> and then Mr. Wolf goes into the description. And I'm going to let you take over because I don't want to do any spoilers. Okay, let's see if I can do this. Dun, 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 dun. Hetar is explaining to them that Chohag has sent word to the clan chiefs. Um, which. I can't remember who they are, but um, he says okay, they're so gathering at a strong That just means the clan chiefs, because they're nomadic people, the clans are like the different herds. They run herds of horses across um, the, El, the El, 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 Algaria. They don't, they don't live in settled villages or whatever. So the clan chiefs are just a different, that's how their kingdom runs. Okay. And so they're gathering at a stronghold, I guess, to have a council. Yes, um, one stronghold. So, but yeah, I guess that's obviously important for Mr. Wolf to know that for his own reasons. Um, but Wolf is the one that asks about, is this Prolgu? <laughs> How do you say Prolgu. that? Prolgu. So he asks Hetar if anyone's trying to get through there. And this is where it's all over my head because he then, Hedtar says, I sent a troop of my own men to the Gorem before I left. Mm-hmm. So, and then Wolf says that's an old friend of his. So the Gorem is a person. Yes. Because at first it sounds like a place when Hedtar says it. And so we'll figure out who he is later, I guess. Yes. Um, and Laldoran chimes in to say, aren't your people afraid of the land of Ulgos? So... The land of Ulgos is like so, so where Gorom lives or let me let me go back. Ulgo is the land is the country. Mm-hmm. Okay. Prolgu is the city. 
Okay. Gorham is the leader of the Ulgos who live in Progu. Okay. So the Ulgos <laughs> are the Ulgos are the, the Ulgo is the name of the people. So he's an Ulgo, like that one's uh, a Cherik or that one's a Dresnian or that one's a Sandarian. Ulgo is the same sort of term. Okay. So Hedgehog makes a comment about when, when he asks, aren't you afraid of them? Aren't you afraid of the land of Olgos? Hetar's response is that uh, the monsters, I guess there's monsters that feed on the flesh of men. And he's like, well, they stay in their lairs during the winter time. So Hetar is a very cool dude. <laughs> um, so that's interesting that there's monsters somewhere that eat the flesh of men. And then also he tells Mr. Wolf that the southern Sundaria is crawling with Murgos. Mm-hmm. So I found that interesting because to me, is Garion from Southern Sundaria? Is that where he's from? Or is he's from a different area? Do you know? Mm-hmm. I just found it curious Let's that. The map. Is there a, can I find a map? Map, 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 map. Got a map. Okay, so Ulgo Land is south of Sundaria. Okay. South of Sundaria. So that could... So if the Murgo, if there are lots of Murgos in the south of Sindaria, mm-hmm. then that's right on the border of Ulgo land. Yeah, so that's probably not where Faldor's farm is then. In uh, I'm not sure. I would have to look at the map from the first book again to find that's out. Fine. Yeah, I was just curious because I, I feel I feel like Gary and Mr. Wolf would have been more concerned had it been close to Felder's farm, right? Because Mr. Wolf is just kind of like, eh, I guess I could have guessed as much. You know, he kind of no, just shrugs it off. I don't think off. that Mr. Wolf is attached to Felder's farm as Gary is, and Garen's just kind of listening to all of this, and he, we don't really mm-hmm. find out much about what he thinks. Mm. Okay. I'll put um some I'll put the maps in um the relevant map. That we're talking about i'll post um a link to that in the show notes i'll put a picture of it in the show notes so that you can have a look at, at what we're talking about although if you're reading along you'll have the book and you can check it out for yourself anyway yeah so then <laughs> now they... i'm gonna leave in alicia's book <laughs> so then they kind of move into this talk about sorcery because after they kind of get all of these you know basic this basic information that Hattar wanted to tell Mr. Wolf out about what he has seen uh, since he's come here Mr. Wolf is then kind of all of a sudden like all right we need to talk this is what's going on and this is what we're going to do so then he starts talking about that the man, the name of the man they're after is Zedar. And he used to be one of Mr. Wolf's master's disciples. A disciple of Aldor. Yeah. But then he joined Tarak's side. Yeah. So finally we have a name who they're following, right? Who mm-hmm. He's the one who stole the orb of Aldor. Yes. So I'm assuming maybe he stole the orb from Aldor and then went to Torak's side, or maybe he was, that doesn't matter. So he, so, well, what happened was early last fall, when this all started, 
Zadar slipped into the throne room at Riva and stole the orb of Aldur, which is where it was. And they're chasing him to get it back. Okay, that makes sense. So Zedar, and that's why Beric brings up sorcery, because he asks, isn't, isn't Zedar sorcerer, right? Mm-hmm. Um, like, well, and I, this is confusing. This has always confused me, this, this thing mm-hmm. that Wolf says, like, well, that's not a term we like to use. But, yes, he does have a certain amount of that kind of power. Now, all the way mm-hmm. through the books, they're referred to as sorcerers, Pogaras are sorcerers. So I just, it really, it just, it's like a little burr under my saddle when every time Wolf says, you know, we don't like to use that term. I'm like, bullshit, dude. That's the term. What are you on about? Either give me another term to use or shut the hell up. (laughs) Yeah, I guess that makes sense. I didn't think about it too much. But, um. Well, these I are the things that, that I think about after reading the book so many times that I can pick yeah, them and just get really, like, nitpicky about all of the little things now. <laughs> I, feel like, I feel like there was a short mention in the first book somewhere. Yeah, there was. Uh, I don't know if it was Mr. Wolf or somebody just talking about... That magician. Sorcerers. Yeah, sorcerers are just what they call us or something yeah. like that. That's not how we see ourselves. Yeah. But it never says any, like, it doesn't give an alternate, an alternative, like, a term or, you know. I don't know. I guess it makes me think, yeah, okay. I guess it makes me think a little bit about labels and how much stock we place in labels. Mm-hmm. Labels are just labels. People are just people. So maybe, maybe this is one of his long view kind of things, like in the big picture of everything, everyone's just a person and, like, Maybe that's where he's coming from. <laughs> yeah, it could be. It so could anyway. Be because he doesn't see himself as a sorcerer. That's just a word that humans gave him. Yeah. Yeah, see, so <laughs> maybe I'm just being pissy and he's taking the grand, larger view of everything. That's possible. But, I mean, that he's taking the large view, not that you're being pissy. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I see you there. <laughs> okay, so this part was interesting to me because because um, Mr. Wolf says that it's just a certain amount of power that they have, right? And he mentions Beltira, Belkira, Beldazar, all Bel- the rest of us. Belzadar. Belzadar. Um, that reminds me of a name. <laughs> That's probably why I mispronounced it. Reminds me of that movie. It's a Halloween movie on Disney Channel called Halloween Town. Uh-huh. I almost feel like the villain in it is called Beldazar. I'm almost positive. And and, and the he, villain in the Smiths was both was 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 it? I don't remember. Balthazar. I want to say Balthazar. I might be completely cocking that up. <laughs> I'm gonna have to look it up now. Shit. <laughs> okay, you can look it up. But I found it really interesting to learn this, that they all had that, like, prefix added to their name. Mm-hmm. And so then Silk is like, so then that means your original name is Gareth. Mm-hmm. So that was really interesting because yeah. Mr. Wolf is like, well, I haven't heard that in thousands of years. And he kind of, I mean, I guess Aunt Paul wouldn't... Um, 
call him that because it's her father. But doesn't she call him well, Belgarath? She wouldn't have known Gareth. You know, Gareth was a, a boy, a troublesome boy, a thief and a liar, among other things. By the time, you know, he'd been Belgarath for who knows how long before Pogara came along. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I feel like she would have known. But anyways, so they... uh then Hetar asks, well, why did, why did Zedar steal the orb, right? Um, and this is where, again, I am kind of just learning it all. Mm-hmm. Um, but he just says, Wolf says that he wanted it for himself. Um, it could be that, or it could be that he's trying to take it to Torak. So this is where Mr. Wolf kind of verifies for everybody that Torak's not actually dead. Yeah, because Lelderin says, yeah, but Torak's dead. Mm-hmm. Even what had killed him at Vomimba. So Vomimba was the big battle. Right. Um, the preface. And everything where the sword. Yeah, it was in the prologue. That was mm-hmm. talked about in the prologue. That was the battle of Vomimba. And, yeah. And Wolf's like, no, Torak's not dead. He's just asleep. And Bran's sword wasn't destined to kill him. Um, Zeta carried him off and hid him somewhere and he's going to wake up probably fairly soon. And um, if he's reading, if I'm reading the signs right, and we've got to get the orb back before that happens. So that sets our clock, the countdown. They've got to find the orb before Torak wakes up. Yeah, that's, that's no pressure. I wouldn't want to be in that group. What was that? I said I wouldn't want to be in that group. And no. I was like, actually, maybe I, I would. If I had <laughs> yeah, maybe you would. And then the next important <laughs> thing they talk about is sorcery, mm-hmm. um, about how sorcery works, because Barrack's like, well, you, you know, if anything goes wrong, you or Paul Gary can just wave your hand and fix it, no problems, you know, whatever we come up against. And they explain that doing it that way is just a, as tiring as doing something with your back. And also the, dangerous. Like, pardon? It's also dangerous. Well, it's dangerous yeah. in that um, it makes a kind of noise. So Mr. Wolf describes it as a noise. It's not really a noise, but serves the purpose. So other people with the same ability can hear when we use our power. And so mm-hmm. if our enemy hears us, they'll just pile things on us, on us, on us until we're exhausted. So, you know, we, it's, not, it's not an infall, it's not a fix-all, it's not infallible. There are limits to, and there are boundaries to how we use it. And, you know, that's why they've collected all of these people around them so that, you know, Mr. Wall says, you yeah, you can take, we can take care of anything we come across without magic. Yeah, I got the impression that it was a little bit dangerous too because of the fact that Mr. Wolf says you have to be careful of how you use your words yes. when you're using the power yeah. because you could actually say something and not intending what actually happens. Like uses the example, if you say be not can make yourself vanish instead of something else. Like if he's trying to make Torak vanish, for example, and he says, mm. he says the words, mm. it's possible that he can make himself vanish instead, or it's possible that, if they make Torak vanish, then they're maybe unbalancing the universe in some way. Mm-hmm. It would just create a whole... Yeah, I hadn't thought about that. I hadn't thought about it. I wonder if I thought about that the first time I read it. Yeah, there's a real 
Yeah, it's like you really got to know what you're doing or you can. Yeah, I know one of them comments about that. Okay, yes, where, with but... the B, yeah, the B not. Mm -hmm. And then the other thing that comes up is we get to know that there are two bad guys out there. Ktuchik. Ktuchik commands the Grollums. Zeta's got the orb, he is the disciple of Torak. Tuchik commands the Grollums and hates Zeta. He and Zeta hate each other and they both want the orb because the person that presents the orb to Torak when Torak wakes up will be Torak's favourite, they think. They both want to be Torak's favourite. Yeah, that part was interesting. I didn't... So they're going to try to get to that guy first, right? To see if they can... Well, it's, it's just an interesting... I think it's interesting because... One bad guy and one good guy. Like, we know that the, our party is the good guys. Now mm. we've been given the name of the bad guy. But we've also been given the name of another bad guy. And those two bad guys don't like each other. So they're, like, there's a bit of um, complexity in that. So it kind of sets us up for it's not going to be smooth sailing. So they might be having to dodge, like, two different factions or maybe, you know. It's just a complication. Yeah, definitely. I have two of them out there. Is there anything else in the end of the chapter you want to touch on before we wrap up the discussion? No, that's about it. Just he talks about, um, you know, the limitations of sorcery, how they have to be careful, okay. and how it's important that they deal with everything that they can by ordinary means, and that's why they've brought the whole party together, so that they can do this without having to use magic as often yeah. as possible and that the most important thing to remember is that Polgara and Belgarath have to get to Zeta before he can reach Torak with the orb and the other important thing to touch on before we finish is that the fact that Zeta's found some way to touch the orb without being destroyed they don't know how that is because you can't touch the orb unless you are like worthy like you, the orb chooses you well there's some kind of magic there like Torak can't touch the orb it'll burn him up it already has nobody can touch the orb except for the Reban line of kings mm -hmm. uh, and so they don't know how Zeta managed to steal it from the throne room because he can't touch it so that's the other kind of thing that probably wants mentioning right and, um, and then they just end with silks, you know, Garion sort of saying, Garion's silk outside, staring at the stars, out through the fog. Garion asks Silk if he's afraid too. And Silk yeah. says, well, yes, but we can, we can act as though we aren't. Yeah. I like that moment. Yeah, it was pretty. It was just a lovely little... They, they, they just have that lovely, intimate... I like their relationship. Yeah, that's a good one. Yep, so that's that. That was a long discussion. I know. That's okay. We can go through the next two pretty quick. So yes. what? Moving into the magic. So what was your magic for the chapter? Well, I really like the, the communication that Heta has with the horses. Mm -hmm. um, that's pretty cool. Because, you know, Very I... Cold. What was that? It'd be cool to be able to communicate with an animal like that. Well, yeah. So 
I mean, I've often thought about like when we had cats and pets and stuff, how much they understand what goes on in their their world. Like, it just fascinates <laughs> me. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we can entertain ourselves for a long time just watching the dogs, you know, the way they or the way they'll look at you and you can just stare at them and they just stare back and it's like, what's going on in your head? Yeah. Uh, yeah, that would be pretty cool. I really like that. Uh, what's yours? Uh, mine was the be not when, when Mr. Wolf's using that example, like the power of that to just say be not and have the power to make yourself disappear <laughs> uh, if you do it wrong I mean that's that's real power so I have to give that some as my it's, magic it's interesting though the the mechanics of how that works because the way they describe it is the universe will not permit unmaking and so if you attempt to unmake something it won't happen like it could be entirely possible if you unmake something the entire universe will just vanish and unmake itself and that's of course impossible and so instead of that what happens is your will just recoils on you and destroys Mm -hmm. you instead yeah yeah that's pretty intense magic (laughs) (laughs) that i would never mess with (laughs) yeah definitely yeah Personal insight. Um, so this whole chapter gives me the same sense as what I get. Like whenever I'm preparing for a trip, the day before, or usually the evening before I leave, I get this sense of foreboding, like I've forgotten something really, really important. And, and that's the sense I get from this chapter, like this sense of preparation and a vague fear of what's to come. Mm-hmm. yeah yeah I hadn't thought about it but I can see that for sure it's especially wrapping up with Silk and Gary and where they're kind of like are you afraid you know yeah, uh, like, which is what I chose <laughs> I'm not remembering I just can't quite get it but it's like in my gut I'm like yeah yeah I do that all the time I don't travel too much but when I do I always feel that I'm like I have to check 10 times. I have it. I have this. I have, okay. (laughs) I chose the conversation between Silk and Garion Mm -hmm. at the end of the chapter because two two separate times Silk tells Garion to behave as if we believe what Wolf has just told us, right? And then behave as if you're not afraid when you really are. that reminds me so much of like this journey I've gone on where I had coaches and whatever people I decided to get guidance from tell me that the secret to all my happiness was to behave as if I was already there. I already had it. And I don't know, it works for some people, but for me it was a bunch of bullshit because it, (laughs) it just made me feel worse. Yeah, you know, I couldn't do it. Uh, and so it just kind of reminded me of self being like this mentor. And Garen was like me hearing this stuff. <laughs> and he's kind of like, Ooh, I don't know. Can I really pretend I'm not afraid when I am, you know? Uh, so yeah, you see it. a lot of yourself in Garen. Mm-hmm. I love that you get to be him and do all of his like, like, yeah, this is just so good. <laughs> yeah. 
I definitely feel the relationship with him and Silk. Yeah. It's a good one. Okay. So I guess we're on to Prophecy Speaks. Yeah. new book so that i can oh, i just got a new book a fantasy book called the children of blood and bone oh that sounds familiar it's a pretty a big named book right now uh who is the author i can't even pronounce her name but it's a fantasy story set in the scene that's supposed to be i don't know if it's actually in africa or it's supposed to be a world that's really like africa Okay, cool. There's magic. There's magic and politics involved, and it's pretty cool. I wonder if I should just go right out of the box and get a novel over there. <clears throat> I have a novel that I have yeah. in my to be read pile. I'm just going to novel and see what it tells me. Yeah. Okay. I have had this book for years. I picked it up at a book market. It's a, I picked it up because the story is set in Australia. Mm-hmm. I have no idea if it's any good. <laughs> but um, What is the book called? What is the title? It's called Journey to the Stone Country. It's by mm. Alex Miller. And what's this under the sticker? Let me see. Oh, it's not coming off. People who put stickers on books should be shot. <laughs> yeah. I just did that with the book I bought. There was a huge sticker on the front with the price. I said, yeah. Why would, why would you do that? Just Thankfully, I got it off without ripping the cover. Well, I'm not ripping the cover, but the stickers all. And, and they put it over the top of, like, text. The title. Ridiculous. <laughs> Oh, it doesn't matter. Anyway, so my question is, what am I missing that is anchoring hives in my body? So I've managed to, the heat has hit and I have had a little ripple of hives. Last year I had a full body, top of my head to my toenails, hives. Mm. So this, this year um, <clears throat> it triggered and had a few and I've been doing a lot of energy work on the emotional stuff to do with it and I've got it down, almost gone. But it's just hanging on and so there's something that I'm missing or anyway, there's something there. So I just would like, you know, can I get a little bit of an extra uh, something? about that what am i missing that's anchoring the hives in my body annabelle felt that she was entering a country out of which the legends of her own past had arisen she looked at beau wondering how he must be feeling returning after an absence of more than 20 years 
so great a portion of his life lying between this moment and the time when he and Dugald rode these ridges as young men. He was concentrating on the driving and did not look back at her. <laughs> Shit. Okay, that is really very appropriate because... Annabelle, had, Annabelle, Annabelle felt she was entering a country out of which the legends of her own past had arisen. So there are a lot of legends in my own past that I've been working with in relation to this emotional anchor. Yeah. And I look back at someone <laughs> to do with them uh -huh. Uh -huh. and wonder how he must be feeling. after an absence of more than 20 years. <laughs> mm -hmm. So great a portion of his life lying between this moment and that time. And he's concentrating on driving and not looking back. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe it's time for you to concentrate on your concentrate on my driving yeah yep just holding on to the emotions of somebody else could definitely be a cause of something like that and because they're my emotions i'm imagining mm -hmm. everyone else's i have no idea what's going on for anyone else right and i don't need to know i just don't need to I can concentrate yeah. on driving my own truck. Sometimes it's easier said than done, but yeah, definitely. And that's really like so spot on because the last thing I was working with was I came up in, was doing some EFT, going through some specific instances and got to the place where I was saying, why do I need to know? Mm -hmm. I don't need to know. Yeah. So this is just kind of, down that same track not not even that i don't need to know you need to concentrate on getting on with your style yeah yeah okay there you go thank you i have to tell us next week if the hives have cleared any oh i'll put a note in um the sheet okay so the my the book i'm using this week is the night circus great book uh, I haven't read it in a while, but I love it. My question is, not my question, but my intention to get clarity is like every day, as much as I tell myself each day I'm not going to do this, there's always some instance, at least one, many, usually several instances where I get angry or frustrated. It's my children. If it's not the children, it's my dogs. If it's not the dogs, then something else comes to upset me or that's how I perceive it. So I'm just wondering like, how can I really finally stop this cycle happening daily? Like I don't wanna be angry and frustrated anymore. I just wanna let it go. You're always welcome, Tara, Mr. Barris says. He offers her a seat, but she does not notice. Drifting through the tables covered in highly detailed models of buildings, stopping here and there to investigate a detail further. The arch of the doorway, the spiral of the staircase. 
It becomes difficult to tell the difference between old friends and business associates in cases like ours, I think, Tara says. Whether we are the kind of people who make polite conversation to cover shared secrets or something more than that, this one is marvelous, she adds, pausing at a model of an elaborate open column with a clock suspended at the center. Uh, I'm gonna stop there because they go into descriptions of the clock that he's building, but what I noticed, there's two different lines I noticed. The fact that he's offering her a seat, but she doesn't notice because she's distracted by something else. I think um, I can very easily get distracted by things that are don't really matter, but I make them stress me out and then get angry and frustrated about it. Then the other is um, whether we are the kind of people who make polite conversation to cover shared secrets. That's the one that popped out to me. Is, is definitely, I think, what I've been working on is uh, just speaking what I'm feeling at the moment without anger. Uh, and I'm working on this with my daughter too. So I think that's the, the message is to um, help her do it by start to do it every day myself instead of like yesterday, you had a pretty bad, not bad, but it was a not a good moment uh, because I got really mad at the puppy dog who's huge because she's a golden, I mean a golden flashback to me. She's a chocolate lab and she reached up I was starving and she had just run away. I went and brought her back in, went to go walk, do something real quick, came back and she was eating my breakfast that I left on the counter because she can stand up and like <laughs> reach the food. And so instead of being able to just laugh it off or just kind of push her down, I flipped and like yelled and I said a bad word in the yelling. Mm -hmm. And my daughter just, as soon as I said the word, she's like, ah, no, I don't like it. She starts yelling. She wanted nothing to do with me. And so it was a big wake up for me of like, I need to handle this anger now before I push her away. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's a matter of, yeah, just don't be so distracted and be okay talking about what you're feeling without being angry. Mm -hmm. that ties in really nicely with everything that we've been talking about hey mm -hmm. yeah. yeah well that's a successful prophecy section again i'd say yeah it was <laughs> every time uh, really huh <laughs> i think so every time has been there's something you can get out of it every single time and this so. is this is what divination is all about it's not about fortune telling. It's right. about being alert and awake to the responses you have to what's going on around you. The world is a divination tool. The symbols that you need to, to, to get you through whatever you're going through will spark for you. They'll almost they'll be haloed with, with light almost if you are awake to them. Mm -hmm. you know yeah. things will point you in the right direction 
That's it. That's just the only difference is that you need to be awake and not asleep. Yeah. And believe it when it happens. Don't second guess yourself all the time. Go with it. Yeah. Yeah, that's something I finally, not finally, I'm still working always, but I let go of a lot of it. Yeah. Like not believing for so long. <laughs> and I just look back at it like, why, why did you do that? You made it so hard on yourself, you know? But that's how we learn. Okay. Well, we've come to the end of our episode. Yep. So if you are still here, listen. What? Let me do the prediction for the next chapter. Of course, go. Um, maybe I should have skipped it because, okay. Anyways, <laughs> the prediction. I know you jumped after, yourself right now. You're going to have to do it. <laughs> I'm probably completely off on this, but I put the crew, okay, I think they will begin their next journey after they've kind of been paused in these ruins for a little bit. But I'm guessing that maybe they'll end up or head towards the land of Ulgos. Okay. But I think I'm way off on that. So well, that's okay. Next chapter. <laughs> so darling listeners, if you are still with us here at the end of this, what's turned out to be quite a long episode. <laughs> yeah. Please hit us up on social media with the hashtag itchy bits. Itchy can, bits. <laughs> you can send us your emails at bilgariadandbeyond at gmail.com. Is it a .com? Yes. At gmail.com. Um, mm-hmm. But you'll find all of our information and all the show notes and stuff at belgariedandbeyond.goddesskindle.com. That's our website. You'll find all of the clickable links to everything that you want to know about us and the show there. And um, you'll also find us on Facebook. We are on Instagram and Twitter. But at the moment, Facebook is the place you want to go to. As long as Facebook continues to behave because it's been dicking me around something shocking. So more updates to come on that situation. Yeah. Leave it to Facebook. (laughs) Um, And also you can find us on iTunes and that's where you can leave ratings and reviews for the show so that we can get boosted up more people can find us and we can build the community. So if you haven't yet, please do so because it would really help us. Absolutely. So thanks for listening, everyone. It's been another lovely chapter. Summertime, hey? Feels crazy. A little bit. I think I'm losing my mind a little bit, but that's okay. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, dear. Well, I will be curious to see how much is left of you next week. (laughs) Yeah. Just don't mind me if I'm spinning from the ceiling fan or something. Absolutely not. <laughs> I will just applaud and play some music. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, everyone. I'll see you next week. Bye, guys. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> this image of you. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> holding onto the fan blades pretty <laughs> While I play this from a circus or something. <laughs> All you'll see is my feet on the screen just going in circles. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so uh, good. <sighs> sometimes that's what I feel like doing just to like